Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. This episode is brought to you by Before, an incredible new self-care brand that just launched their first products, a line of purifying toothpastes. I'm obsessive about my teeth and brush them usually three times a day, so I'm super excited to be using Before. It ticks off many boxes of what a good toothpaste should be. Their custom supermint flavor actually tastes really good, and the consistency is silky, and at the same time, it doesn't leak out of the tube, which is a total pet peeve of mine. It's also non-abrasive, so it doesn't destroy your tooth enamel. All the harmful ingredients have been replaced by clean alternatives, and their custom blend of fluoride and dentist-approved ingredients totally promotes optimal mouth health. Before also deeply cares about our planet. Their tubes are made from 100% recyclable plant-based sugarcane and creates 50% less carbon footprint than traditional toothpaste tubes. As you all can tell from the show, I'm a huge fan of good, purposeful design, and let me tell you, the design and color palette of these are beautiful. The tube stands upright on your counter and makes your bathroom look minimal and chic. Visit their website, before.com, and enter the code CRAFT10, C-R-A-F-T-1-0, to receive 10% off your entire purchase. One-time use per customer. I'm a huge fan of what they stand for. You won't be sorry, and your teeth and the planet will thank you. As a number of you know, I'm also a certified sound therapy practitioner and founder of Oto Healing, a sound therapy studio and practice. Sound has been a healing modality through many cultures for thousands of years. Oto's approach to sound is rooted in both art and science, the art being the history of sound, the science being quantum physics, biology, brainwave states, and more. All listeners of the show get 15% off their first private one-hour session. Visit otohealing.com to book yours now. Madeline Pacini is a force. Her passion for her passions is infectious transfixing when she's talking about the things she's bringing into the world. A longtime publicist, she began at Joe Fresh as an intern, then moved to Toronto-based boutique agency Fallhaber Communications. Over the years, her clientele grew beyond fashion and into design, hospitality, art, and cannabis with Tokyo Smoke. Then in 2020, just before the pandemic, she and her best friend Sam Brophy launched their psychedelic wellness movement brand, Yawn. She was born in Toronto and grew up just outside the city, the only child of hardworking and loving parents. Her father was in the police force for more than 30 years and the staff sergeant of homicide for a decade. Her mother, an immigrant from Hungary who came to Canada at 12 years old, was in the dental industry. Madeline's first language was Hungarian, something she learned while spending time with her grandparents as a child. Growing up was sticky for her, feeling like an odd duck and navigating bullying. Once in high school, she would take the train to the city and began going to metal shows, where she found her community and those who became friends. Her network began to grow through pockets of the underground music scene. She graduated from university with a double major in cultural studies and film, and she began to question what she really wanted to do. The answer lay in her network, and she quickly began her career in PR. Transitioning into psychedelics was organic and something that had been brewing for a while. Today, The Yawn brand donates a portion of their profits to 
to organizations conducting research and trials and offering support, such as the Hefter Institute and the Fireside Project, North America's first psychedelic peer support hotline. In this conversation, we dive deep into the importance of her finding her metal community in her teens, how quote-unquote outsiders often end up becoming culture makers, the way psychedelics came into her world and helped change her over the last 15 years, her first experience with mushrooms, why education around harm reduction and psychedelics is essential, what's currently happening with psilocybin regulations, equity in the space, and much more. Please enjoy this exploration with a lively, expressive, and fierce Madeline Passini. Madeline Passini, welcome Hi. to The Craft. Hi, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course, of course. How are you feeling? Excellent. Mm -hmm. uh, today's a really beautiful day in Vancouver, so I had a nice walk over here and feeling really good. Okay, awesome. Where do you live again? In Cole Harbor, so right downtown. Oh yeah, downtown, that's right. Mm -hmm. Which is nice, you can walk everywhere. Yeah, yeah, like a 20 minute walk anywhere. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, we got connected through my friend Tiffany, but it seems that we have a lot of mutuals, mutual friends. Um, so it was really, really nice to meet you for the for the first time, maybe a month ago. Yeah, and it, it felt like we, it definitely feels like we've known each other for oh. longer. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Tiff is also kind of a new connect of mine as well. Just the little mycelium network <laughs> of people here in Vancouver that work in the industry and. Um, she's also a publicist, which is something that I dabbled yeah. in as well. So really I cool. love that you use the word mycelium network. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Had to really, throw in the nerd term. <laughs> <laughs> really bringing it home on this conversation. Yeah. Um, so tell me, let's, let's go back all the way to Toronto where you were born. Tell yeah. me about childhood. Little Madeline. Um, I was an only child for about eight years in my entire kind of immediate family. Um, I grew up in Markham, Ontario, so just outside of Toronto, but I was born right downtown. And um, I was an only child, so I was stubborn. I usually got what I wanted. Things always had to go my way. Um, yeah, I was uh, an interesting little girl. Definitely a wild one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And your parents, what were they like? Um, I definitely had stricter parents growing up. My father was on the police force for 36 years, staff sergeant of homicide for 10 years. So he was definitely protective and, um, I definitely, they were strict as I was growing up and younger. Um, my mother was in the dental, um, industry. She came over when she was 12 years old from Hungary and, um, well, she actually grew up in Serbia, but she's Hungarian and and my grandfather worked in the dental industry, and so she kind of went into the family business. So just working middle class, really hardworking parents, very loving. Mm -hmm. um, they definitely wanted to give me the life that they didn't have, um, and I'm very close to both of them, and yeah. That's really sweet. Oh, I love that. And your mom is from Serbia. We just, I, our last guest, um, or two guests ago, she was also um, from Serbia and she came over when she was, was 12 years ago, uh, old. When did your mom came over? Was she, she was born there. When did she come over here? Yeah, she was 12 when she came. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and it, it's funny, my first language was actually Hungarian, even though I was born here. Um, my Hungarian grandparents were still alive and they helped raise me. Mm. So I had this thick Hungarian accent when I was really young. And it's funny when I watch baby videos of me. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was definitely a little bit, you know, of a fob kid myself. Even though I was born here, I definitely did not feel like I fit in. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, do you still speak it? I do. I've definitely lost it a lot. I think as I was getting older, I was really embarrassed of the language. I didn't know anyone else that spoke Hungarian. It's quite a rough language. And I was already having some trouble fitting in in general. So I was really ashamed of it. So I would never speak it. You know, I my grandparents would always speak Hungarian to me, but I would always respond to them in English. So regretfully, I've lost some of it. I understand a lot of the language and... Um, I'm sure when I go back and visit Hungary, I'll be able to pick it up again, but I can understand it. And when I speak or converse with somebody, it's usually half English, half Hungarian. It's mm. like this broken conversation, but I can at least hold up a little bit of a conversation. Mm. Yeah, my first language was Tagalog, actually, so so Filipino. And um, I lost it once I started going to school. And I wish that I could still... I could still speak it. So yeah, I feel like jealous of people who are like bilingual because I'm like, ah, I used to be. I but know. I don't know where it went. I know. I agree. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about um, high school and then leaving high school and then what happened with your life in terms of career after that. Yeah. High school and elementary school and just growing up in general was a little bit sticky for me. I was always one of those little girls that never really fit in. I never had that great of a relationship with myself. I never really felt grounded. I was always kind of the odd duck and I I struggled a lot um, making friends and fitting in and it was it was really hard going through those years, you know, really hard. Um, you know, there was times where I hated being me, you know, and I, I didn't want to wake up, you know, and, and it's, it can be really rough being bullied in school. And as I grew up and got older and went through the years in high school, I also became a bully because I was very angry at people and angry at the world. You know, there's people I went to elementary school with that I ended up bullying them, you know, and I'm not proud of that. Um, I'm grateful for the experience now because it really made me who I am today. But I got to this place of, you know, hating the world and being angry at everything because everything was so cruel to me, you know, and I was the victim. And uh, because I didn't really fit in too much, I, it, it, I ended up going downtown um, from Markham and meeting people off of MySpace and going to metal shows. And that was kind of my salvation and my safe place. And that's where I really fit in. The metal community is a very interesting one. It's, um, there's different parts of it, obviously. There's the metal community, the hardcore community, but I find a lot of the people that are into that culture and that music they also don't fit in in other parts of their lives. So we're all kind of the outsiders and we find our own community in the music. And um, so, yeah, just, that's what started my Toronto network and going downtown. And and yeah, I was meeting people off the Internet way before Tinder. So not to date, but just, you know, to make friends. And that was a big um, step for me. And I think it was very important for me to have gone through that um, in regards to where I landed with my career because um, starting to go downtown in high school um, at a younger age, I really built this network and it was all through music. My life really revolved around music at that point. Music was my safe place and where I found community, where I belonged a little bit more. And, and the music 
my music taste evolved as well. So as we, as the metal scene became, all the people in my generation became of age, it, they all became DJs. And then there was the electro scene. And then, you know, this underground music scene, this, the house music scene, the after party scene, the raves. And it just developed from there. And I really, I always went out for music and I'd go out to dance or to, you know, headbang or whatever it was. And because I became a part of all these little music pocket communities across the city, I really built up my network. And I um, went off to university. I went to Laurier. I studied cultural studies and film. I graduated with a double major. And film was really interesting. Um, it was a, the theoretical historical side of film. And cultural studies encompasses all sorts of art and religion and women's studies and, and that sort of thing. And it really taught me how to write. And coming out of university, you know, I, I was like, what am I good at? You know, what, what am I going to excel in? Like, where, what is my career path? I was kind of lost. And my partner at the time was like, well, you're really good at bringing people together. You have a big network. You know, you could throw events. Your, your bread and butter is your community and your network. And I think because of not fitting in growing up, that fitting in and having community was so important to me. My social life was so important to me, more important than anything else, that I put a lot of time and effort into that and like really nurtured that. And he's like, that's called PR. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, that's when I got my first internship in-house at Joe Fresh. So I started working in-house in fashion. And then after that, I... Um, went to an agency, a boutique agency called Fallhaber. They're amazing. And I veered far away from fashion. I started working with design clients and hospitality clients and um, art clients, um, really cool clients, uh, like the Design Exchange, which is Canada's design museum, um, IDS, the interior design show. I got to work on really cool exhibitions, uh, debuting and traveling exhibitions like Pharrell's uh, designer toy exhibition, Stefan Sagmeister's happy show and mm. Christian Louboutin's 20 year retrospective. You know, it was really a dream. I was very passionate about these clients and I really excelled in PR and my network was also a big part of it. You know, I was constantly bringing on new business because I had so many friends that own businesses and so many friends in different creative pockets. And it really did start with that metal scene. A lot of the people that I met in that time were people that I continued to work with later in my career. They were photographers, fashion designers, you know, they were in all different facets of the creative industry. So mm. it all ended up becoming full circle. Yeah. You know, just listening to your story right now and, and thinking about you being in the metal scene and the things that you were interested in, it's, it was very like counterculture and it's so interesting because what you're involved in right now also started off as something that was counterculture it is becoming more mainstream but you know it's always kind of like the nerds and the weirdos later on in life turn out to be some of the most fascinating humans ever and I feel like it's because they have to go through some kind of adversity in high school you know and I, I think that it's I think it's pretty amazing to come out the other side of that. Yeah, I completely agree, especially looking back. I look back and I'm so grateful, you know, for all those times that, you know, I just, I even just not wanting to be me, I'm grateful that I went through that because that pushed me to 
being the person that I am today. And that person is somebody that really loves themselves and that is confident in themselves and has an amazing group of friends. And, and I think going through those things really got me to this place. Yeah. Yeah. It sort of allowed you to eventually become fully expressed and belong somewhere, belong to a community that's like, Hey, yeah, we see you and you, who you are is pretty rad. Thank you. Yeah. Were you already dabbling with psychedelics in your younger years? Or is this some, something that came in later in your life? Yeah. Um, well, going back to high school, actually, I think, you know, with having going through a rough struggle, I, I did start experimenting with drugs at a young age. Um, I started my, you know, doing mushrooms and acid. And I, I experimented with ketamine even back in high school and at a young age. And the times that I had done those substances back then were some of the most profound times for me. Um, overall, I have been self-exploring with psychedelics for over 15 years consistently um, in different ways, um, but consistent throughout the 15 years. It's definitely been something that I am, feel very connected to and um, my experiences have really changed me and they've changed a lot of people around me in positive ways. And yeah, so it definitely started <laughs> back then. <laughs> do you remember your first experience and, and what came up? I do actually. My, yes, I do. My first mushroom experience, it was, and this is, you know, I think one of the reasons I started doing what I'm doing today is because a lot of my experiences back then, you know, were, you know, I didn't have anybody telling me how to properly do them and there was no education. So definitely my first time was not, an, it wasn't in the most ideal circumstance. I, my friends and I ate a bunch of mushrooms before like this crazy big house party. And, um, it definitely wasn't like the most perfect experience. Like I thought that I had weird shit in my hair and, <laughs> Yeah, it was. I've been there before. I could see everyone's <laughs> veins on their faces. It was definitely not like the most perfect mushroom experience, but um, my first acid experience was definitely very magical. And and my mushroom experiences following that, where I would actually do them in a in a more ideal setting, which was at a cottage or at Wasega Beach with my friends or just in the park. Those experiences were really great, but my first one was definitely a little rocky. <laughs> <laughs> you live and you learn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so tell me about this transition then from um, being in PR and, and loving it and being really, really good at it and then transitioning into your brand now, Yawn. Yeah, I think it was, it, it's been a really organic transition for me. After I left the agency um, and I went off on my own and I was doing freelance, again, I had such a great network. I didn't even have to look for a client. I was just constantly working with friends and friends of friends. And one of my first clients actually was Tokyo Smoke, um, I can't, a pretty large cannabis brand in Canada. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with it. And that was really inspirational for me, what they were doing in the cannabis space. Um, at the time, I, I stopped smoking weed years before that. Um, so I wasn't as passionate about cannabis as I used to be. Um, I moved to Guadalajara about a year after I kind of went off on my own and was doing my own PR. Um, and I moved to Guadalajara, took a year off. Uh, that was for my boyfriend's work. 
and I didn't, I wasn't really able to work there. So I, I was basically on vacation for a year, which drove me a little stir crazy. So we came out to Vancouver. Um, we've been here for about five and a half years and I started dabbling back into PR again. And he would always ask me, you know, why don't you just start your own agency? And I, I always knew agency life wasn't for me. I was like, listen, I, I don't know what it is, what it's going to be, but one day I'm going to start something. Maybe I go in house and I become partner or I start something. It's just, it, I can, I know that's going to happen. I just don't know what it is. And yeah, that's basically what happened. But I think starting Yawn was a long time coming. Um, I think it started a lot earlier than, you know, on paper. Um, but yeah, my my best friend and I, you know, are very passionate about mushrooms and the pandemic hit and it was just so organic. We just started moving forward with this concept and it wasn't really about a building a brand. It wasn't really a brand. It was just this community and this movement and these ideas and, and it just formed into what it is now. Mm. And this month is actually our second year anniversary Ooh, for Yon. So congratulations. we've been officially launched for two years, but we started working on the brand about a year and a half, two years before mm-hmm. that, um, in a more concrete way. But I, like I said, I think that this has been brewing inside of me for a long time. And I think the timing just needed to be right. Mm. And so for listeners who may not know about Yon, it's a psychedelic wellness movement and you guys build community through immersive experiences and you have some really great um, elevated uh, merch and, and, you know, just products that people can use who are on this, this journey with mushrooms. Um, tell me more about what you mean by psychedelic wellness movement. So I think a lot of people, when they are talking about psychedelics or medicine or especially now with what's happening with the medical side of things, and this is, you know, the second psychedelic renaissance, we're really moving forward with a lot of the research and the medical side and the trials and the treatment side of things. And that is mainly, I think, addressing, you know, people who are maybe mentally unwell you know and we are trying to reframe that because psychedelics and you know earth medicine or earth tools I don't believe are just for people who are unwell I believe that they're also to help people better their mental wellness people that maybe are on a good path as well and I think the self-treatment side of things and people wanting to explore their own consciousness on their own is just as big, if not bigger than the medical side of things. Um, And I think with my own exploration for, for over 15 years with this, I can attest to that, that there are a lot of people that are out there doing it on their own accord. And I think that the lack of education throughout um, the lot, like, you know, it, it was really research was cut off in the sixties. Right. And so, and even looking deeper than that, you know, the, the psychedelic industry in Western culture, you know, started really in the fifties was cut off. And now again, here we are back at it, but there is such a deeper history with indigenous cultures that have been using these tools for a lot longer for millennials 
and there's a lot more history to look at and a lot more education to look at. And I think this wellness movement is just, it's, that's, that is what it is. It's just, we all want to be well and let's do it together. Mm-hmm. And let's do that through education, like non-biased education. Let's do that from people's experiences. Let's do that as a community together. Because I don't think the medical side is going to be accessible to everyone. And I don't know if everyone's going to want to trip in a clinic, you know, with a blindfold. That's a very sterile experience. Some people are going to want to experience it on their own with their friends, with underground practitioners. So it's sort of cost prohibitive in a in a clinical setting. And yeah, not everyone's going to be able to afford that. So yeah, to be to be more informed about how you can microdose is really, really important. So you don't have like bad trips, <laughs> you know? Exactly. Or if you do quote unquote have a bad trip, you know, you know how to handle you'll it. You'll know how to maybe reassess or relook at it in a different mm-hmm. way to, to turn that into uh, a learning experience of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. And you, your business partner, Sam yeah. is also really involved as yeah. well. More behind the scenes. It sounds like. Yeah. Sam is awesome. She's my best friend and my business partner. And the two of us have really built Yawn up together. And um, yeah, we have a really great work dynamic and we balance each other out. You know, I'm the crazy one and she's the more <laughs> yeah. grounded one. I was going to ask, like, who's got what lanes? <laughs> she's the yin and I'm the yang for sure. Yeah. You're the fire. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, let's talk about um, harm reduction. And I know that that um, terminology comes up a lot around your branding and and your site and I'd love to explore that more for people who are like well what does that mean in in conjunction to psychedelics and experiences yeah and I'm glad you asked I think that this is one of the most important parts of what we're doing harm reduction really comes down to education um the more that people are informed and that have the the tools to be able to understand these substances the, the better their outcomes will be, the safer that they'll be able to use. And harm reduction is the most important thing right now for sure because creating a safe community, a safe environment um, through education, I think is what is really going to make a difference with this movement moving forward in a positive way. Um, I think we have to be really careful about how we speak about uh, these tools because they're not to be taken lightly. They're very powerful, right? So as, as, as much as we are talking about self-treatment and people using this recreationally, we, all, we also have to be very careful in how we educate people on how to use because people can take information so differently and... And because these medicines are so powerful, it could really impact their lives um, if they're used incorrectly and if they're, you know, misused in any way. Um, and again, with Yon, we're not telling people to go and do psychedelics. We're giving people the education and the tools so they can do it safely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's not only you know, the dosage you take, but it's also the environment you're in, who's surrounding you. Um, I feel like the, all of those play into the type of experience you're going to have. Oh, absolutely. And even talking about like little simple things like music, you know, it's like the simplest things 
you know, make sure you have your music set up before your trip, because if you're fumbling with music during your trip, that could make you potentially have a negative experience, you know, little things like that. And that's why even with Yawn, we offer these trip mixes, which we collaborate on with different artists and creators and just like offering all different little tips and tools for every step of the journey. Um, I think it's really important, you know, we we work on our educational platform um, with a close friend of mine. Her name is Dr. Lindsay Mackay. Uh, she has been working in the downtown east side, um, which is basically like Vancouver's Skid Row, right? Um, I think when I moved out here five and a half years ago, just really seeing that and seeing the the opioid crisis up close and personal and the mental health crisis up close and personal really it had a huge impact on me and um lindsay's been working down there for about seven years she's an an addictions physician and she's also a psychedelic medicine researcher and she's really passionate about this and she's co-leading and leading some of the clinical trials here in bc in relation to addiction with psilocybin she's doing that with numinous which is really cool and she really helps us kind of manage and um she helps us with our educational platform and helps guide us to make sure that we are giving really factual tips and that we're giving proper information and and wording it in in a proper way and also giving the the correct education on regulation and what new studies are coming out and that sort of thing. So she she works very closely with us and she's really helped shape you on into what it is, um, especially on the educational side. Mm. Um, you, you use the word regulatory, and I'd love to know what's happening in that space right now around psilocybin and regulations. I know that um, in various cities in North America, it's, it's legalized. And so what, uh, what have you been seeing happening in terms of regulations that's um, exciting you, but also what are some setbacks? Yeah, so... We are definitely moving forward with the movement, especially in North America. You're starting to see a lot of states decriminalizing psilocybin. Oregon is the one state where it's fully legal, um, sorry, not recreationally, fully legal therapeutically. Um, And there's more and more states that are decriminalizing it. Um, In Canada right now, it's actually not even decriminalized. Um, But we are still moving quite forward with the regulations in the sense of making exemptions and exceptions for therapeutic use. So we went from um, an exemption protocol to now there's a special access program. Um, There's definitely a few hoops you need to jump through in order to get access to that program. Um, You need to fall under specific criteria. And I know that that has become a little bit harder um, to actually get into. However, there are a lot of trials happening in BC. Um, I did a uh, walkthrough of Field Trip's office here uh, a few months back, and you know they're offering psilocybin treatment. It is at a higher cost. You know, you're looking at three to six thousand dollars, but that also includes a lot of follow-up therapy sessions, and they do have some programs that can make that a little bit more accessible to certain people. But right now, it's definitely not fully accessible and um 
Yeah. So, I mean, we're not even decriminalized here. However, we do have about what, 10, 15, 20 standalone brick and mortar mushroom stores in BC. And I watched one buy one the other day. Yeah. And, and the police are going in and they're not cracking down on those. I think that they have bigger fish to fry. Mm-hmm. Um, we have decriminalized possession of certain drugs here in BC as of this year. Uh, but that class actually doesn't include psilocybin. So I think that there is a little bit of a disconnect with the regulations and then where we're actually moving forward because we are still moving forward with psilocybin. It's clearly, you know, going to be legalized here, I believe, um, in the near future. But the regulations don't add up with what's actually going on mm. in the city. But that also happened with cannabis. I think we're almost moving a little bit faster it feels than that way. what the regulations can keep up with at this time and mm-hmm. I think that that's okay mm. but um I think things will need to change soon mm. I wanted to ask about um taking psilocybin in a clinical setting that's often a higher dose right like a hero's dose versus a microdose and it, it actually might be great for you to help define what a hero's dose is versus a microdose for people who don't know the difference and also going back to the clinical setting and that's more of a hero dose that requires more support right yeah so right now a lot of the the medical treatment and the therapeutical side is focused on larger doses those larger doses do tend to have a a more lasting and impactful um, experience with people so microdosing there's not enough research right now on microdosing and it's also more of a long-term, um, long-term experience, right? So microdosing, we have a lot of personal accounts and we have a lot of, um, just more, I guess, non-academic reports on it right now. We, we're not, they're not really trialing too much with microdosing. I think that they're, there will be more of that in the future, but right now they're definitely more focused on a larger dose. Um, so a hero's dose is typically known for four to five grams, which is quite high, it's but high. that is quite high. And that's kind of based on Terrence McKenna, who um, some of you might have heard of. It's kind of his account of what a hero dose is. And he 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 was a big pioneer in the psychedelic space and really wrote a lot of books on psilocybin, especially when they, you know, there was still so much stigma on them. But in in therapy, um, they're looking at probably one to two to three grams that they're doing with a lot of the patients. I think a lot of the trials are ma- mainly based on that measurement. Um, and microdosing is very subperceptual. So microdosing, you're looking at 20 milligrams to um 250 milligrams mm. and subperceptual meaning that you can't really even tell yeah you don't hallucinate um you might tell a little bit in in your mood and mm-hmm. your creativity maybe right. you're in your focus and stuff but you don't you're not supposed to feel it um you're supposed to be able to work on it and and go on with your day um and then you know Anything from 300, 300 milligrams upwards, you will feel. Um, that was another thing I, I want to kind of touch on is when I moved out to BC, you know, psychedelics are such a big part of West Coast culture. I love the West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I will ever move back to the East Coast. I really love it here. You know, there's, it's very different from coming from a city like Toronto 
there's not an, there's not the same sort of like nightlife. People are getting up early and they're going on hikes or they're they're going to Rec Beach, which you know they're going to do some acid and go to Rec <laughs> Beach, you know, which is a nude beach for some of the, if anyone doesn't know what that is, but it's quite an experience. You know, my the first birthday party I went to in BC was actually my partner Sam's and we ate a bunch of mushrooms and went snowshoeing. You know, I'm used to going to a nightclub in Toronto. So I wonder if it's because we're so close to to nature and the accessibility to it um, oh, is just there. And then you just feel you do feel drawn to it when you I feel like anyways, I am when I'm on mushrooms or psychedelics. I'm like, I just want to be one with nature right now. Absolutely. And that's what it is. It's all about the nature here. And and the plant plant medicine and earth medicine um, is such a big part of culture out here. You know, when I first moved out here, every time we would go out with friends, everybody was doing Scooby snacks. And a Scooby snack is around 350 milligrams. So it's, it's, a, it's a smaller dose, but it's a dose that you definitely feel. Mm-hmm. And you drink less when you do that and you have more like deep conversations with people and you're, you know, you could kind of stare at like this weird piece of the wall for an hour. It's <laughs> like, it's really fun. And um, that really changed things for me moving out here because back home, I, you know, would have my once or twice a year big trip with my best friend or a group of friends or whatever it was at a cottage and and, you know, I still I still think that that was great. But coming here, it was way more accepted as part of daily life. Mm. Um, everybody was doing mushrooms every week, you know, and and it, that even though Scoobies are not microdosing, it's still, in my personal opinion, a little bit better than having, you know, 20 drinks, mm. you know, and it's it's um, yeah, really it really made a huge impact on me and how I viewed psychedelics and how I engaged with them. And yeah, I think that that was also a big turning point for me coming out here. Mm. It really opened my eyes up to what the whole West coast culture and how accepted psychedelics were out here. Yeah. Cause in Ontario, it's not like it, it, it's starting to get like that I think now, but it wasn't like that. Mm. Yeah, you know, I'm just reflecting on a memory that I had in Ontario. I'd gone with an old friend to Tobomori, and um, we had done the hike to, I think it's called the Grotto, um, and really, really beautiful, and the water was a color like unlike I'd ever seen. It was like, am I in the Caribbean right now? It's really, really beautiful. And then on the way back, we decided to take some microdoses, and again, this is where, this was kind of my sort of it was the fledgling time of me starting to to do this on on the regular and on the way back I believe we each were like okay we'll take a couple of microdoses and I think we took four or five and swallowed the pills but each one of them was 100 to 150 and (laughs) then you're hiking back your blood is going and we we tripped out yeah and now when I reflect back on it, now that I know more, I'm like, whoa, that, you know, that was, that was like more than a gram. Oh, totally. And that's the thing too. It's, you know, all these years of not having that accessible education, there's so many mistakes that people were making. Like there was never, you were, I was never measuring out mushrooms. I was just grab, putting my hand in a bag of mushrooms and eating them, you know, and I was not always taking into account my set and setting. I obviously kind of learned that just through experience and I'd often learned through the hard way. 
Um, most of my mushroom experiences were really great. Um, but I think that lack of education and that lack of just being able to openly talk about it with your friends and family and just that these decades of stigma that it's had, that's, that was really what drove me to start Yawn, um, was to create a platform where people felt comfortable talking about mushrooms and talking about their experiences and talking about how to safely use them because there's a lot of information out there, but not all of it is accessible. Like if someone just wants to try mushrooms, they're not going to be digging through these medical journals and looking at the, at the news, <laughs> which is really focused on that regulatory mm. side. You know, I wanted to give people this cool brand that's on the streets, that's at their level, you know, making, breaking information down and making it digestible for people, making it accessible, you know, giving people clothing to buy so they can open up conversations in their own community about that. But then also bringing awareness to, to larger topics in the industry as well. Um, so with Yawn, for those of you who don't know about the brand, we sell clothing to, you know, help people and spark people to open up conversation in their own community. And it's just like this fun, you know, kind of lifestyle aspect of psychedelics that didn't really exist on the market. Um, really, uh, we put a lot of love into our clothing. They're really great quality and they're fun. And um, there's that. But then we're also creating accessories and tools like paraphernalia for psychedelics that actually will teach people how to safely store, how to safely grind, how to, to safely use through using these like elevated kind of products that will make people proud of their mushroom use. Like they can have their cool, you know, right now we're working on a grinder. They can have this cool mushroom grinder, this beautiful mushroom grinder on their bookshelf, you know, and that makes them proud of their mushroom use. They're talking about it. And that really helps to break down the stigma. Um, and yeah, the storage too, because you can have, you can be, you know, you can have a bag of mushrooms that you've had for two years, yeah. but then, you know, it's lost its potency or yeah. all the different things. And you're like, oh, I didn't even think of how to properly store these, this, you know, yeah. living and, thing, well, yeah, once living thing. They're yeah. organic. It's organic matter. Of mm -hmm. course, it's going to get moldy, mm -hmm. right? So yeah, we're, you know, proper storage unit that, you know, helps to keep your mushrooms from heat, light, and moisture. Um, proper grinding utensil because people are using their coffee grinders, which omits heat that deteriorates the psychedelic properties. Mm. There's a lot of things people don't know. And these products don't exist on the market with cannabis. There were bong shops and head shops and yeah, they were kind of were grungy, you know, and obviously then Tokyo smoke came around, but that's kind of what we're trying to do for psychedelics, except there's no grungy psychedelic stores. You know, there's nothing like that out there. So we are really trying to pave the way with these products and show people like there is all these cool products you can have for your mushroom use. And um, here's all the information on how to properly do it, you know? Mm. Yeah. There's a couple of different pathways I'm, I want to go, but um, I want to do, I want to touch on, on equity in the space. Mm. But before we go there, um, I want to talk about the origins of the word yawn, because when I was doing some research, I didn't realize that yawning is the first physical thing that you do in the womb. Like, yeah, in the I, first trimester. That's, I was, I felt mind blown when I 
when I read that. Yeah, I actually didn't know that either until we we had come up with the name Yawn. Um, yawning, for those of you who don't know, it is a physical indicator when you're kind of on the come up of getting high on psilocybin. If you're doing a larger dose, you won't feel that if you're necessarily doing a Scooby. Sometimes you will. But if you take, you know, anywhere from 350 milligrams to, you know, upwards of one or two grams, you usually, most people, start yawning as they're starting to get high. It's still not fully explained as to why that happens. We have our own theories, but yawning is also associated with being tired or sleepy, you know. But when you're yawning and you're getting high on mushrooms, we consider that waking up. You're expanding your consciousness Mm. and you're actually, you know, waking up. So it's a fun play on words. We're trying to reframe the word yawn. It's like, it's not about being bored. It's about, you know, being awake and mm. um yeah apparently babies and it's one of the first physical actions that they do in the womb which is so cool so it's kind of this uh, the beginning mm-hmm. you know and then mm-hmm. it's also the awakening and there's just yawning um, has such a deep meaning to me now because I'm simultaneously on my you know journey of my my own healing and my own psychedelic journey and as I dive deeper with different medicine yawning is also a, a form of purging of like energetic purging and it's it's a really beautiful thing so it's also an intake like if I if I think about yawning you're also like intaking air too in in that action yeah. so you're like bringing you're all, you're bringing life you're bringing prana oh, into absolutely opening your up body. your throat chakra <laughs> <laughs> like literally, literally opening, opening totally. it, up. it has so many yeah. cool meanings and mm. It's just and it's really a fun. Fitting. It's fun. It's fun and fitting. Totally. And if somebody doesn't fully get it, it's still a word that they they're familiar with. So, mm. well, let's jump into equity in the space. Yeah. And because I think this is this is such an important conversation for all kinds of industries, um, but definitely noticing that cannabis industries and um, psychedelic industries are super male dominated, um, and now you've got to females who are pushing this movement forward, which is amazing. Um, but what are you seeing in terms of equity in this space? Um, what you would like to see and change? Absolutely. I think a lot of the information that we have here in Western culture is obviously based on white educated males. And there's a huge history that goes you know, a lot deeper than Um, psychedelics in the Western world. Psychedelics in the Western world started in the 1950s, you know. Um, There's a lot more that we need to pay respect to and learn about. And what we're trying to do with Yawn is um, bring awareness to the inequality in the space and bring awareness to the problems that are still happening. And we're doing that through our products So with the mushroom stash bag that we launched, we made it a campaign. Like, you know, if you are of color and you are in the middle of the States and you get caught with this bag, like you could potentially go to jail. Like we are very aware of this. This is still a very prevalent issue. And, you know, we made it a campaign for the Drug Policy Alliance. um, And that was really important to us to like, you know, bring awareness to that, especially to our audience. And um, through a a product that we're working on right now, um, we will be donating to the Fireside Project. Um, The Fireside Project is the world's first psychedelic peer support hotline. 
And uh, they have an equity initiative fund, which is created by a friend of mine, Hanifa Washington. She's the co-founder of the Fireside Project. And the equity fund initiative, basically, right now, as it stands, um, it offers identity-based um, support. So if you call in and you're of a specific um, group, whether you're of color or you're a veteran or you're um, transgender, you can ask to speak to somebody of your same identity group mm-hmm. and have them help you through your challenging psychedelic experience. So, so it's like identity-based support. But mm. the initiative, um, the Equity Initiative Fund is going to be growing into something also larger than that. They're going to be providing job opportunities and educational opportunities internship scholarships for people of minority groups and marginalized communities to get work within the psychedelic space for them to then further heal their community. So it's really this full circle um, initiative. And um, it's something that we want to bring a lot more attention to. And we'll be donating to that um, with some of our future products. Mm. Yeah, that is just such important work. You know, you're talking about... um, someone being able to call and speak of someone in their com- speak to someone in their community of course that's really important especially if you're going mm-hmm. through something real say you went through an intense experience and you know a lot of things came up it may be something that you know you or I would not be able to understand um, so I think that's such such important work absolutely and I think just overall um, just having a lot of respect and practicing reciprocity um, through our work and 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 doing that through different little things, whether it's just through education, whether it's, you know, being a platform for different voices um, and that sort of thing. I think that that's really important to this industry. Hmm. How else do you think? I've just been thinking a lot about this lately. Um, and, you know, you talk about paying respect to where all this comes from, to the cultures that have been doing this for centuries, thousands of years. Um, How do we, besides besides supporting all of these amazing organizations, how can we just as humans remove our colonial lens on these important medicines that have been around for a really long time um, and to ensure that we are doing such a, a respectful Um, approaching it with such a respectful lens like what else can we do internally or what kind of frame of mind can we have as people as we're doing these medicines to make sure that we're not exploiting them in this new age you know yeah I think with all the different because this is becoming so popular and it is becoming more mainstream and a lot of people are going and doing different ceremonies and that sort of thing I think one of the important things or something that I suggest at least is if you are going to go and for example, say go and do ayahuasca, I think, I think it's, it's a good concept to think about it. Like, okay, this comes from this certain part of the world and this is where the practice is. So to actually go down to the jungle in Peru and go and sit with the tribes there and learn about it in that way rather than doing it in the basement of, in Brooklyn, in New York, you know, where I'm hearing there's so many, there's so much happening in, in, in North America with um, ceremonies and, you know, people calling themselves shamans and that sort of thing. And 
doing your research, obviously, to make sure that you're vetting the whoever you're going to sit with and drink medicine with or or whatever ceremony you're going into to really vet the people that you're sitting with, the community that, we, that you're sitting with and doing your research on the culture and and maybe going and spending more time there. Don't just go in for your ceremony. Go and spend time, you know, down there and and spend time with the indigenous community and and maybe help out for a little bit. And um, I think that's one way that I think people um, can can learn more about it is going to the source um, and paying their respects there rather than just doing it, you know, in North America. Um, you know, mushrooms grow here. So I think that, you know, personally for me, um, doing larger trips on mushrooms, I think have really helped connect me to the earth and even to other cultures through, through the medicine, um, learning about it through my psychedelic experiences. Um, how has it shifted your consciousness? Like from, who you are now to when you started. What are some big shifts that you've noticed in you as a human? Um, th with plant medicine, I've been able to really come into my own skin and, and leave behind a lot of things that don't serve me. I've also been able to really face a lot of trauma and heal that trauma. And it, it's not easy work. It's something you have to be really open-minded to when you go into it. Um, but to be able to face my, you know, fears that are holding me back and trauma and to be able to face them and understand them and understand where they come from, whether it's in this life or another life or who knows, different lineage, you know, trauma. And to be able to recognize and pinpoint where it comes from, face it and overcome it, that has been probably the most life-changing thing for me. Um, just also connecting deeper with these plants, whether it's ayahuasca or psilocybin. Um, those are two I connect very deeply with. And they're, they're definitely distant cousins. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that, that shifting my consciousness in, in, through nature really being so connected to nature, especially being out here. Um, those done are, your soul good. That Those are probably the biggest ones. I've calmed down a lot too as a person. I'm a very, very hyperactive, really crazy, fiery person that's kind of all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really calmed me down. It's grounded me. It's you know, help my nervous system, um, so many things. All important things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's pretty incredible what these medicines can do if you trust it and allow it and trust yourself too. And just listening to you talk about, um, just working through, you know, aspects of, of yourself. And I feel like, I feel like in these experiences too, with, with it, you, also just make peace with the shadow aspects of yourself. You sort of, you stop shaming them and you just say, oh, I see you. And there are things we can do better, but I, I see you and I um, have empathy for where you come from, which I think is so important for just your own inner child. Yeah, and almost even 
loving those parts of mm-hmm. you. That's mm-hmm. what it's kind of shown me mm. is like even the worst parts. Like I just love it. I love yeah. myself. I'm okay with it. And I know you guys are wanting to focus more on immersive experiences. You did your first one with Secular Sabbath, um, which I follow on Instagram. And I think they're doing some really, really cool things out there. Um, tell me about that experience in the desert and what that brought, like what was um, happening, what was involved. And yeah, what's uh, what's for the future, perhaps? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was quite an experience. Uh, Jean-Viev Meadow Jenkins is the founder of Secular Sabbath and she, uh, her partner Rye is also heavily involved. Um, if for those of you who know Rye is, he's a um, musical artist, a very beautiful singer. Beautiful. Uh, he's actually from Toronto and um, the two of them put together, you know, these sensory ambient music experiences that really came out of the necessity for an alternative to drinking music festivals, you know, drinking focused festivals or events. Um, This offers something that's a little bit more mindful, um, which is really aligned with what we're doing. But our partnership with them came a lot earlier than that. Um, It was, again, really organic. We had just connected with Genevieve over Instagram, and she has been a supporter of Jan from from the beginning. And she's been very supportive of all the work Sam and I have done. She's connected us with so many amazing people and she's always rocking our gear. And um, her and I have been discussing doing a collaboration for a while. And the Joshua Tree event seemed like the perfect time to kind of get together and really blow it out of the water. So our partnership and the event um, was based around our little collaboration. And we had crewnecks and t-shirts that we sold there that again you know went to support Hefter Um, but they really were about you know these two um, female female created projects coming together supporting one another and just building community around that and building community around more mindful practices and So Jan came on and we basically provided education. Um, We had massive white blow up mushrooms in the middle of the desert. They looked so cool. We just had this little like inconspicuous setup and we were just there hanging out and we gifted everybody there with a custom trip kit, um, which did not include anything um, psychedelic or illegal. It was a kit with a 101 kind of trip guide booklet that educated people on every little part of their beginner journey. And we provided little tools in the box, such as chocolates, tea bags, ginger chews, um, and so forth to accommodate people on different parts of their journey, whether it's to, you know, mask the flavor or um, create a tea ritual or, you know, help with upset stomach. And, um, so it was really just like a, an actual little trip survival guide that we provided everyone there with, which was really fun. And then we sold our little collaboration and we were, and then Rye played a sunrise set wearing yawn, which was really special with our mushrooms in the back. And 
it was a really mushroomy, fun experience. And there was some really other cool brands that came on as well. Um, other ship was there. Other ship was Adam there. was there. Yeah, Adam yeah. was there. That's where I met Adam. And um, I'm friends with Rob Bent from Toronto. Mm -hmm. We've known each other for a long time. Okay. And, and he's really supportive of what we're doing with Yawn as well. And so, yeah, they were there doing the breath work and the cold plunges. And Secular Sabbath had amazing cacao ceremonies and... And you the know, food looked high good. stations. Oh yeah, that was Taka Table. Yes, the food Taka was tables. phenomenal, mm -hmm. and it was just—it's a very special, intimate group of people. It was only a hundred people, but the people that were there were, you know, very like-minded and artistic and creative, and it was such a special weekend. Um, it was really the perfect weekend for Yon to be a part of with Secular mm -hmm. Sabbath, and we're going to continue working with them in the future and. I'm doing cool things with them because we're just so aligned. Well, I've got to come to one for sure. I think it sounds and looks so good. Yeah, so. I'm wearing my Secular Sabbath yeah. crew deck right now and my Secular <laughs> Sabbath socks. Sean <laughs> Vieve, I love you. <laughs> the Secular Sabbath, it, it's, it's a goat, right? It's a little lamb. Lamb, a little yeah, lamb. It's a little Not a goat. Lamb. <laughs> it's a lamb. Yeah, and it says, yawning is the portal to my soft inner landscape. Oh. And that's kind of what Jean yep. Vieve says about ambient music as well. Mm. And there was a lot of yawns and a lot of really chill moments and really cool a lot artists of, a lot of cuddle puddles with friends so many cuddle <laughs> puddles exactly um i love yeah. it yeah so everyone check out secular sabbath too they're doing some really cool immersive work so what's exciting what's what's coming up i know that i know that you guys support the hefter research institute which is is really really important do you want to share more about what that partnership and collaboration looks like yeah, so it's it's um, we it, since we're a psilocybin focused brand, the Hefter organization um, or the Hefter Research Institute organization um, is a psilocybin focused research institute. So they fund most of the psilocybin related trials in the world. They are the biggest psilocybin research funding agency, and they also focus not just on the medical side. They also um, touch on spiritual and other sorts of aspects that come along with um, psilocybin research. So they're a really cool agency and um, they're not-for-profit. And so all of our clothing um, supports them. So a portion of our proceeds goes to Hefter. Um, and then, yeah. Uh, we you have are, a game coming out. Yeah. So we've been working on this for two years now. Um, it is a card game. Um, we're going to be launching a Kickstarter for this very soon, within the next two months. Um, it's a card game. It's, it is a psychedelic card game, but you know, it's as much as it's a game, it's also kind of about creating ritual community and laughter. And it's a really positive tool for people to use while tripping or even sober. It can get you into the psychedelic state of mind. And it's about, kind of letting people embrace their strange side and it it kind of inspires and provokes people to get a little weird and think about weird thoughts and really be creative um it's a game that's definitely about embracing your weird strange psychedelic side I um, love it <laughs> yeah so and as much as it's obviously a tool for more recreational use I think that recreational uses still can be very therapeutic um and you know, sometimes 
you don't want to get super deep and, and emotional and psychedelic. Sometimes you just want to have fun and that's therapeutic in its own way. Mm. So we've been working on this game for two years. There's been many iterations of it. Um, a lot of beta testing, hundreds of hours of beta testing, different prototypes. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. I don't think Sam or myself thought we'd be game creators. Um, it kind of just fell into place um yeah it's funny because there's sometimes when I'm like oh what am I doing creating a game you know like I was a publicist like this doesn't make any sense and then you will get a little sign from the universe whether it's like a really great game contact that comes into play and starts mentoring us or um like a podcast that comes out that's directly related to what we're doing with the game I don't know we we keep getting these little signs that we're on the right path um, so it's exciting. Yeah. We're going to be launching a Kickstarter for it soon. So yeah, yes. that'll, all that information Keep us posted and we'll, we'll be happy to, to share that. Absolutely. For anyone who's curious and, and hasn't yet explored microdosing, what would you suggest, um, to these people who maybe want to try it out? Yeah. Okay. I think it's very simple. It's very different for everybody. So you're going to have to trial and error it. Um, I suggest starting very low, so 20 to 50 milligrams. And my protocol is once every three days, so one day on, two days off. Take it in the morning before you eat. Um, and just journal, keep track of how you feel. And and once, you know, it's also good to take breaks because um, you do build a tolerance to it. So take a few weeks off. Um, some people also like to take it every day, except for the weekends. Some people, you know, everyone's different. Um, I like the one day on, two days off because it gives you a good buffer in between and it kind of still helps you float through the week. Um, but definitely keep track of things. Journaling is important and um, yeah, just see how you feel. And then you can also up your dose after a little while and then take a break. Hmm. Yeah, that's a... Uh I would I would say yes to that. Like feel, I feel like that's what I do as well. I think I feel like you do grow a tolerance. Yeah. So I, I did start off with fifties, mm -hmm. but now I'm up to like a, a one fifty. Yeah. And sometimes at a two fifty if I'm home alone and just want to just totally. listen to music, which but is then really great. If you take like three weeks off, you can go back to the fifties. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um just a couple more questions for yeah. you. Um what what has what has psilocybin brought to you your life that you were the most grateful for? I think I would have to say a deeper appreciation for Mother Earth, Mother Nature, a very deep, deep appreciation. And it, it even started as simple as, you know, being outside earlier on on a on a big dose and just staring at like one piece of this tree for like three hours you know and just it comes alive and you breathe with it and you feel this deep connection with it and it started off as simple as that you know and I was back in high school doing trips and even being in Wasega Beach and the, the waves look like they're uncovering a spaceship and you're just glued to the water <laughs> for you know hours um a very deep appreciation of mother nature. I think mm -hmm. that, that that's what psilocybin has done. It's really brought me back to my roots, which is earth. Yeah. And what, and something that I hope for everyone really yeah. at, at some point is to be so uh, in close, in close alignment with, with, yeah, this planet. Um, for you, this is a question for you, like another 
level deeper. Uh, you were talking about you and your teens and what a tough time that was. And, you know, that at that point you didn't love yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but then listening to you as we started going deeper into this conversation and you were talking about, no, you know, now I, I, I love myself like in this fully, more fully expressed version of yourself. And my question is, at this moment, at this point in time, what do you love most about yourself and what do you love most about humanity? Ooh, that's a good question. I think I would have to say I love the part of me that is not afraid to go out there and do what I love and and follow my my dreams and my passions. Um I think that that's probably what I love the most about me that I'm I'm a little bit fearless like that sometimes. I'm not afraid to speak my mind um and speak the truth. Mm-hmm. Um and with humanity, um I think I love the support that comes from people, the the community. You know, I think that is some of them that's probably the most important thing, you know, for so many people is feeling love and support from, you know, their fellow humans and um, that we are, we are really built on one structure. We are all one. And that's what I love the most about humanity is the love and support that you get. Um, Yeah. Like I wouldn't, as much as I love that part about me, about being fearless and following my dreams. But I also don't know if I would be able to do that without the love and support from that I've had from humanity, you know, so they kind of go hand in hand, Mm. you know, having your friends and family believe in you makes you believe in yourself. And I think that, yeah, it's definitely those are the two. Mm. (laughs) My final question that I ask everyone, with what you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? I would love for people to be more open-minded, whether that is to feel comfortable to be more silly or to explore their consciousness more or to be open-minded to things that may might have stigma, these counterculture things that might have stigma that might not be you know, accepted, but to be more open-minded to things and to follow their passions, you know, that's what I would hope that if I could leave any impression, I would want that for people to take, to to go away with. (laughs) Mm. So wonderful. And if people wanted to connect with you or Jan, where, where can they go? Jan Together is the Instagram and the website, jantogether.com. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, you were, you mentioned Terrence McKenna and I uh, had been reading a bunch of his, his uh, quotes. Uh, I feel, I feel like there's a lot of them on yeah. Instagram. Do you, do you know, do you have a favorite one or just a favorite sentiment that he's um, left behind and um, that has made an impression? I, um, when he talks about, doing his five gram heroic dose and he talks to the mushroom god and it's basically the stoned ape theory um you know where how mushrooms are not from planet earth and 
that, you know, they came here or somehow they're here and they helped with human evolution. Um, that's probably one of the most impactful Terrence um, mm. tidbits. It's so mind blowing. Yeah, I just his brother Dennis actually lives in Abbotsford. What? Yeah, really. There, okay. A lot of a lot of like the psychedelic and the mushroom people. Yeah, like, like the wayfinders. Yeah, like Paul Stamets is on Cortez, yeah. and Dennis is in Abbotsford, and mm. yeah, there's something about the the West, West Coast. Coast. <laughs> I don't know Vancouver especially is very special. So yeah, BC. yeah, it really is. Oh, Madeline, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your story and your thoughts and being so open about it. And I can't wait to spend more time with you. And yeah, thank maybe you have so a much. little microdose together. Uh, a game night. Game, <laughs> for or a sure. game night. Yeah, <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. This is my RSVP. <laughs> thank you so much, May. It's been such an honor. Oh, thank you. As always, thank you for being here and for listening. To learn more about today's guest, visit the episode page for show notes and links on wearethecraft.com. You can find the entire podcast archive here or explore more conversations with past guests on Spotify and Apple. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on these platforms, including YouTube, to get notified when new episodes drop. Any likes and shares on social media are deeply appreciated too. Sound and audio engineering for the show are by Andrew and Jay Bagaspis. All guest portraits and images are by Juno Kim. Appreciate you all and see you again soon.